technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... We've been talking about video that we consume as humans, but I'm fascinated by your prediction that half of global video traffic will be something that humans won't ever see. This is really kind of increasing. And we're talking about applications like smart city surveillance or autonomous driving or then industrial automation. Algorithms will extract visual features like faces, assembly line defects, even before the video is received on the other end. Yeah. You're listening to the Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. Kids are watching TikTok, their parents binge-watching Netflix, and content creators are live-streaming from wherever the action is. But increasingly, the action will be behind the scenes as Industry 4.0 eclipses consumer content. Fleets of vehicles will stream every moment of a journey to help improve the driving experience. Assembly lines will keep a watchful eye out for defects. And smart city technologies will keep us safe from everything from crime to the next novel coronavirus. But getting there requires new technologies. The technologies Villaveco Matilla is developing today as the head of research and standardization at Nokia. We began our conversation by talking about today, 75% of mobile traffic is video. Yeah, so video definitely seems to be everywhere today. We all are using our mobile phones to consume video, so uh, anywhere any time so the consumption patterns are, are really kind of evolving a lot and, and yes so three quarters of the mobile traffic is video today and uh, and then if you think about the ip traffic in in the internet so more than 80 percent of that traffic is video so it's really dominating and for those of us who aren't geeks um, we need to understand that you can't just pump video out like that willy-nilly you, you need to have a, an encoder decoder, a codec technology to compress that video so that it can be consumed on the other end at a reasonable pace. Live from downtown Los Angeles, it's the 72nd Emmy Awards. Please welcome your host, Jimmy Kimmel. I had no idea Nokia has won four Emmy Awards, none of them for soap operas or late night dramas, but it's for technology that's been incorporated into two billion devices around the world. Well, hello and welcome to the pandemies. Wow, it's great to finally see people again. Thank you for risking everything to be here. Thank me for risking everything to be here. You know what they say, you can't have a virus without a host. Video compression definitely is something very important. So if I give you a kind of reference, so 4K video, so ultra high definition video. Uh, we can all enjoy that in, in through our favorite kind of video on demand streaming services. So 4K video today is about the raw data is about six gigabits per second. And if you think about home connections today, personally I have 100 uh, megabit connection. So it would be totally impossible to receive 4K video to the home. And that's why we need a lot of compression in order to be able to distribute video 
uh, to, to people, to consumers, to homes, and also then for industry applications. So reality video or even augmented reality applications in the future, so they will definitely require even higher bandwidth than the 4K television or, or streaming today. Now you say that the future of video is built on five pillars that all tie into each other. Interactivity, cloudification, machine-to-machine -machine communications, intelligence, and immersion. Let's start with immersion. Immersion needs ultra-low latency, so we're not pulled out of that moment. We're still immersed in whatever it is we're consuming. I can imagine that requires an even newer codec than the ones that you've worked on with MPEG. Yeah, I mean, immersion is, of course, very, very important because immersion kind of tries to create the kind of feeling of presence, that really being present in, in the moment that when you are watching a movie, so it becomes kind of immersive experience. And that can be achieved, for example, by ultra high definition or high resolution or by high dynamic range for deeper colors. So it's very much then links to the picture quality, the video quality. But of course, it's not the only, only aspect that then drives immersion. So you also mentioned interactivity and uh, being able to interact with the content, it also drives immersion. And we can take, for example, virtual reality as an example, where we have this kind of rotational freedom. So we can move our head to experience this large screen display of our content, and that makes it interactive. Uh, of course, then thinking about the future experiences and these emerging media experiences like augmented reality, their really the challenge is that, that can we really capture the reality in three dimensions and distribute such volumetric representations to user which then will enable this kind of free viewpoint experiences. So not only rotating your head, but you can even walk around the content or you can move into the content. And of course, that's, that's very important, this three-dimensional aspect, because our reality is three-dimensional. And if you want to augment that with, with some information, some data, of course, that also then needs to be three-dimensional content in order to match it well. So you're talking AR and VR. I was just thinking when it comes to immersion and low latency technologies, just gaming in general, you know, Google Stadia, things like that. But to your point, um, we're entering a whole new world of immersion with devices that'll soon be no heavier than a pair of eyeglasses. So augmenting the world around us is going to require not only uh, a low latency environment, but a new codec to take advantage of that. Yeah, if you think about the codex or kind of conventional codex for 2D video, like for example for 4K video today, uh, these codex will also stay fundamental for these new emerging content experiences like augmented reality, where I mentioned this volumetric video, so the video becoming three-dimensional. Uh, so still these conventional codex, they are there at the bottom. So they are the fundamental enablers, even when we consider these new content experiences. But of course, we then need to build quite a, quite a much on top of them in order to enable these new content types like the three-dimensional content. 
So this new video codec you're working on, VVC H.266, that seems to help overcome a lot of barriers uh, to the use of the technology. But what are the barriers to ARVR adoption if it's not bandwidth? Uh, if you think about virtual reality and augmented reality, of course, one kind of uh, challenge today is, of course, a content creation. Uh, if you think about this volumetric experience uh, or example I gave uh, today, creating such content may perhaps only happen in studios where you have multiple cameras in place uh, and perhaps also having this kind of green screen background. So that really being easily being able to segment, for example, the object from the background and capturing the object from all angles all around the object in order to create the 3D content. But then the key question is that, okay, how then consumers, how they could create such content? And this is one of the current challenges. Uh, we had a bit kind of similar challenge in, in what it comes to omnidirectional video or VR video in the past. And of course, even Nokia, we've been pioneering this VR cameras for professional use in, in the past. Uh, but today, there are really multiple options for consumers to, to, to have virtual reality cameras and capture everything around them. And, uh, and that, of course, can also be a very immersive experience. I can imagine we're already at the edge of that. You know, my new smartphone has LiDAR built into it, mm -hmm. which gives it the ability to recognize the world in a 3D space. Yeah, I think that the, some of the new phones, they, they do have this new sensor, this LiDAR, uh, which is about kind of, kind of laser scanning sensor, uh, which can then help you to map your environment, the geometry of your environment. And that is exactly about this 3D I mentioned about. So being able to that can actually help to create and help consumers create uh, 3D content in the future. So, uh, so I'm sure that uh, multiple sensors will be needed to create such content. So this LiDAR sensor plus, of course, then the camera sensors themselves. But interactivity requires the cloudification of video since the smartphones as powerful as they are mm. still need the heavy lifting to be done in the cloud that's true uh, because if you think about this new emerging content experiences like exactly virtual reality and augmented reality the content itself is becoming more more complex much more complex uh, because we may have uh, for example multiple cameras in place to, to recording the content and, and then synthesizing the content as, as a kind of one video. So you may have a multiple video tracks. And in addition to, let's say, texture, you may also be interested in, in capturing depth information, which then also relates to this LiDAR scanning that we talked about. So being able to kind of estimate the geometry of the object, so the kind of shape, 3D shape of the object. So we need kind of multiple tracks of, of all of this information. So textures, depth, and, and therefore the content is definitely becoming much more complex. And of course, if you think about today's modern smartphones, they are very, very powerful devices. 
but we then may also need the cloud because this uh, the media processing it's just also becoming more complex more demanding because the content is becoming more complex so we also then in the end we may need also system equipment which is of course great because then you don't need necessarily have the the latest and most expensive smartphone in your, in your hand but but cloud can basically uh, give you the experience and for any connected device in the end. How close does that cloud need to be? You know, we've got the cloud, which we generally recognize now. You know, my phone will upload all my photos to the cloud in case my device is lost or stolen. That's just a, a general data center somewhere, anywhere. It doesn't matter where. Yeah. Then you've got the, the, the edge cloud, which is much closer to where I physically am at any given point in time. But then you've got the near edge cloud, which is right there close by for specific types of technologies. Where do we need to be in that cloud world when we're talking about this interactivity? Yeah, of course, it then depends really on the application. So in the beginning, you you took this cloud gaming as an example, which is very fascinating kind of new new way to play games. So basically meaning that uh, the cloud itself kind of renders all the views of the game and, and then those views are encoded as a video. And, and then stream to your devices, uh, to the connected devices as, as video. So in a way, while you are playing the game, you are in a way watching a video. And of course, it's a highly interactive video. And when it's about gameplay, so the frame rates actually need to be very high. Perhaps something like 60 frames per second as, as a minimum. And for that, we definitely need these low latency operations. And basically it then requires that, that, that the network is very close to you and the computing power of the network then also need to be very close to you. And this is one of the great promises of 5G, that the cell sizes are of course getting smaller and, and the computation power is very close to you. And that then enables this low latency communication and, and, and response time is, is getting very short as, for example, in cloud gaming. We've been talking about video that we consume as humans, mm. but I'm fascinated by your prediction that half of global video traffic will be something that humans won't ever see. Mm. This will be about the Internet of Things, Industry 4.0. Mm. Uh, machines are going to be consuming half of what we generate. Exactly. So it's, it's, it will be quite different because if you again talk about video compressions, of course, today we optimize the video for humans uh, and that's for it's a kind of perceptual optimization. So really optimizing the image and video quality, that it can be higher resolution or deeper colors and, and these kind of things. But then what it comes to machines, of course, it's a totally different story. So basically follow if, if an object is moving in the, in, in the view or to recognize an object. And uh, these, these things are quite different to the perceptual optimization. And of course, all of this, as you mentioned, then relates to IoT. And we all know that this number of connected IoT devices and, uh, and also the deployment on, on video 
on this connection. So it's, this is really kind of increasing. And we are talking about applications like smart city surveillance or or autonomous driving or or then industrial automation. And um, and of course in in these cases uh, they are distributed applications. So we have these IoT sensors, IoT devices out there. But then the question is that okay, how we collect the video from these devices in a most efficient manner so that we can then perform the computer vision and the media analytics, video analytics then in the cloud, whether it is then at the edge cloud, which may be the case if the application is time critical, or whether it is then deeper in the cloud, in a kind of centralized cloud, if it doesn't require this kind of very low latency operation. Uh, but for this kind of situations, so distributed applications, so we really need to have efficient means to deliver the video over the communication network for computer vision analysis. Intel's chief technology officer told me the autonomous car will consume six terabytes of data every single day. First of all, does that jibe with your view? That's that's a very <laughs> that sounds very exciting and. Uh, and, and yes, this is about the future of, of also kind of autonomous driving. So you need multiple cameras in order to, to really sense and analyze your environment. And of course, there's also then time critical operations for road safety and, and things like that. And, uh, and of course, it's then also about not only communicating the the videos to the cloud, but it's also the communication between the vehicles. So that we can we can talk about car platooning as, as one example where then the vehicles really need to cooperate in order to save inertia in, in, in that case. But also, in addition to the vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication, just the idea that you're streaming that amount of data to an edge cloud in a vehicle that could be doing 100 kilometers an hour, it's going to be hitting cell site after cell site after cell site. You need ultra low latency to be able to pass from one cell to the other at 100 kilometers an hour. And I can imagine even faster if we're talking about uh, autonomous trains and, and planes and things of that nature too. So the codec comes into play again. Again, yes. And, and then of course, 5G networks too. And, uh, and if it then because 3GPP is standardizing uh, 5G in phases, so in, in releases. So this release 15 well, is exactly about this enhanced mobile broadband, so the high bandwidth. But then the releases 16 and 17 that are taking place this year, next year, so it's really about this kind of industry 4.0, where the key thing is this low latency, so, so this one millisecond kind of promise of latency. But it's also about the high reliability of the network. So we are talking about this six time times nine, which means that 99.9999% of the time, so the network and the machine should operate correctly. So it's a very strict requirements indeed. Well, so let's then tie all these pillars together with intelligence, because I know you're working on a codec for machines that not only compresses the video, but embeds additional data into it. So for example, today, you know, that data is location, 
It's date metadata, it may be color metadata, but in the future, algorithms will extract visual features like faces, uh, assembly line defects, even before the video is received on the other end? Yeah, exactly. So we already talked that, that this number of IoT devices, that that is kind of skyrocketing. And also more and more video is then deployed on, on these connections. And, uh, and if you then think about really the intelligence that, okay, how then we apply artificial intelligence to, to analyze that those videos, of course, that then relates to deep neural networks. And if you think, think about deep neural networks, so their size actually can be very large, basically meaning that, uh, that there are a lot of weights in those networks that then take a lot of storage, which then makes the or sets very strict requirements for computation capacity and memory. Uh, and, and therefore also limitations that on, on which devices we can actually run these artificial intelligence models. And, uh, and that's why we also need compression. So compressing these neural networks so that we can also run them on resource constraint devices like surveillance cameras, for example. And, uh, and, and these methods, how to compress neural networks, is it's quite exciting. So we are talking methods like sparsification, really studying the neural network and seeing that if there are any weights or any nodes that we can remove to make the overall model simpler, but still maintaining its performance. And these are very exciting kind of technologies, how to do that. So this running these, these models on resource constraint devices is, is one important aspect here. But then the second interesting aspect then is that, that how we can deliver these models over the network to the IoT devices, for example, to millions of vehicles in order to, let's say, update those models on those vehicles. In basically meaning that uh, updating their intelligence over the air. And again here, then compression is needed in order to efficiently deliver these models over the air to the IoT devices. And so with that, we have all these technologies coming together that rely upon each other. AI-powered machine vision is limited if we don't have codecs for compression if we don't have 5G to get the information from point A to point B, and if we don't have that edge cloud technology, it all must work in concert. Exactly. So that is, of course, also one, one important thing. And that's why we, for example, in standardization, because standardization is about collaborating with other companies who need to agree on the technical specifications, on the technology, so that we can reach this interoperability between devices and, and the various services. And uh, so, of course, that is important, but often we need multiple standards. We need to develop multiple standards in order to enable solutions. So you, you mentioned that, okay, we uh, and our standardization partners, so we have received several Emmy awards in relation to our work and standardization work for video codecs. But this year, the latest Emmy actually came to a 
again, the standardization, but not to, to video coding, but uh, recognizing our work uh, on, on media formats. And I was personally very happy about that Emmy Award, uh, because it recognizes the need to have multiple standards in place in order to enable solutions, for example, for, for video streaming. So compression alone is not enough. We of course also need the transport so that uh, the video can be can be transmitted, for example, to your home that you can watch it at home. But in between OTs, so between compression and transport, we also need the media format in order that uh, to agree on the format that then carries really the, the, the signal through transport uh, to your, for example, video service. We haven't even gotten into one other aspect of your day job now that involves these new codecs for video that actually is not about video, but it is about immersion. 5G audio could be an entire separate podcast conversation because you're working on solving the cocktail party effect. <laughs> exactly, yes. So we are working on, on a standard called Immersive uh, Voice and Audio Services. And this is happening in 3GPP, so this third generation partnership project. So that standard defining organization is, is really working on, on technologies and standard for communication purposes. And, uh, and this IWAS, so this new voice and audio codec, is, is then really bringing a new element to mobile communication in 5G, which is spatial audio. So, of course, we are perhaps more familiar with spatial audio, but it comes to home entertainment or, or our kind of movie experiences, movie theaters. Right, my, my 5.1 surround sound system. Exactly, exactly. So that's, that's a good example of spatial audio. But now we are bringing spatial audio out from entertainment to communication and to communication applications, where then again the, the requirements are quite different. And again, because it's about communication, it's about conversational services, of course, this low latency is, is, is critical again, so that we can have a conversation. So, and, and this kind of interactive conversation, so of course, we then need this low latency aspect. And I'm kind of very happy about this new standardization and the capability to bring this totally new experience to us so that that, for example, if we have a teleconference uh, meeting with our colleagues, so today we hear all the sounds inside our heads. But then if we have this special audio, so we can actually place the participants around us, around our head, when it becomes then a bit easier to detect and understand that who is talking. So, and, and that's quite nice new experience. So our brains in the real world at a cocktail party could be in a room with a hundred people all talking simultaneously, but we have the ability to hone in on just one individual who's talking to us. But on, on my Zoom calls, of course, if more than one person talks, it's absolute chaos. We can't hear and understand what anybody's saying because everyone's talking at once. You're saying that we could have that video conference call where multiple people are talking and we could still tune into one conversation and drop into another conversation over there, uh, all at the same time. 
Yeah, so this cocktail party effect is, is kind of very unique. I know that it's that what, what we as a humans can, can do, so we can really kind of isolate someone, even though that there's everybody speaking in the room. And, and really this spatial audio is exactly about that, so not mixing all the participants and their voices inside your head, but placing them around you when it becomes much easier to kind of know who is talking and, and if multiple people are talking at the same time, so it's easier to, to focus on, on one. As much as this is fascinating to me, quite frankly, I'm looking forward to a post-COVID world where I can actually be at a real cocktail party again. <laughs> it would be great to have you at that party as well. Thank you so much for your time and insight. It's my pleasure. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting futurhythmic.com. The Futurhythmic podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.